0: Thank you so much for tuning in to "She's All Over the Place" with Kitty That's me. Hi everyone! Thanks for tuning in to the sophisticated psychos experience. Today we have the one and only Alex Sokolow. Alex, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: All right, let's get let's get it rocking and rolling. Okay, cool. <laughs> So Alec, where are you from?
1: Um, I was born and raised uh, on the west side of Manhattan in New York City.
0: Nice. Very nice. Cool. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, for sure. Thank you for uh, inviting me.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. So you're an amazing storyteller. Thank you. And you are now a creative consultant for Vets International and you're a brand ambassador yeah cool Very that's so cool that's cool yeah. yeah yeah so share some of the things that you're doing with dr scarlet magna now
1: well you know scarlet and i met uh you know and immediately hit it off i had actually made a uh a, a produce and, and wrote a a short film based on a george Orwell short story called shooting an elephant mm-hmm. uh that is actually a sad little story like a lot of his stuff um uh where when he was a a young officer in the British foreign services and was given the task of handling a, a, rogue elephant, but specifically not harming it because they're worth a lot. But as he went out to, um, handle it, he realized that he had a uniform on and he was carrying a gun and that if he didn't actually kill the elephant, he would look stupid. And so he ended up killing the elephant not to look stupid, a very sad little thing. But I, I care about stuff like that. And, and, um, I met Scarlett and when she started talking about veterinarians and international talking about her work, uh, we, we shot that little movie in, uh, in um, Nepal, in a little elephant sanctuary called Chitwan.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, you know, she started talking about her work and, and we just kind of hit it off. We just realized that even though we might have different uh, entry points, mm-hmm. uh, that we, we share a lot of the same uh, passion and commitment for uh Sort uh, living things.
0: Beautiful. It Perfect. sounds magical. Yeah. So, speaking of shorts and, um, and movies, uh, Alec has written amazing movies that people have seen around the world. Big ones. Like, Cheaper by the Dozen, uh, Money Talks, uh, one of our favorites, uh, Toy Story. Hello.
1: <laughs> Hello. I, I I want to preface everything there is. That I, I I had a really uh, long and kind of blessed ride, and uh, did a lot of my work. Most of the work that you mentioned with a partner, so it was it was collective, wasn't mm-hmm. singular. And that every movie that you mentioned or anything that I've, you know, been fortunate enough to be a part of, it's it's there's so many people that help out so many people that contribute. So, definitely, you know, with Joel, I'll say me, but a lot of times it's me, but it's with Joel. Um, You know, I'm writing the first draft. I'm I'm creating the construction and creating the flow and creating the, kind of building the house, the architecture. But uh, I hear those movies and I always get a little sheepish because there's so many talented people doing so many cool things to make those things seem like they always existed. And so I, philosophically, don't, I've never been comfortable with this idea of like one person did anything, you
2: know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So speaking of uh philosophy, I was actually going to, I was going to ask you going into projects cause there are always different people and different influences. Yeah. What, like what's your philosophy going into any project or what, what's the first kind of thought? Um,
1: well, you know what? Uh, it's, it's a good question. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I really think in movies a lot and, you know, from the time I was three or four years old, almost had like a photographic memory of the movies and where I was and who I am talking with. And very, very, uh, they just hit me in a really deep place. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times when I hear about an idea, um, I use all of that influence and all that training. And it really comes down to, do I think I can add something? Do I think I can do a good job? Do I understand it? Do I know who the, know who the audience is? Do I know... But the objective is but most importantly can i reduce it to uh you know a very simple idea what's it really about and so the example again toy story which you know is it was a real and it continues to be an unbelievably out of body experience for me to, to <laughs> i can out-of-body, imagine, out-of-body, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, but that you know you can you can look at it in any which way i look at it like the buddy story which is again something that when, when Jill and i were really starting to talk we were like look you know the oldest written uh, story on record is the Epic of Gilgamesh, comes out of uh, stone tablets in ancient Samaria, now Iran, and that's a buddy story. It's a story of two gods that initially uh, uh, fight each other, and then they realize that they're both enriched when they work together. And so like the very essence of storytelling is really that we're better together than apart. So Toy Story is just the same thing.
2: You know, it's just, wow. Who would have, who would have thought
1: by watching that? That's so cool. Yeah. Super
2: cool.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But,
1: but you asked the question and again, I, I get off topic a little bit. I care about, so, so, so like reduce something to some unifying principle that I think is really, I can identify with, but I think is really important. Uh, anybody can identify with it. And so connectivity, love um, versus Isolation. That's yes. a big thing for me. If I see a story that actually tells, um, that helps, helps, uh, enlighten me or, or helps, uh, connect some dots in that area, I, I mean, uh, I'm very big on that. I'm very big on the idea that, that ultimately we tell stories to reaffirm the best aspects of our nature and, uh, and love. It comes down to love. It always comes down The Beatles had it right. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Very cool. Speaking um, our language.
0: Yeah. So um, what's one of your favorite books that ha- that has inspired you in life so far?
1: Uh, it's impossible to say one book. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you that uh, there are books that maybe I identified with or, or uh, books that um, connect dots from me. You know, when I was a kid... Um, I love this book, for Ferdinand the Bull, mm-hmm. uh, about a bull that's supposed to be a bullfighting bull, but really just chases the butterflies. And I, I, I can remember being a kid and it's being like, I get it. I just get, you know, that the world wants, sees you a certain way and wants you to do a certain thing, but mm-hmm. that's not who you are. Yeah. Um,
2: so, and you so, were a
0: kid, you said. I was a kid, yeah. And so, so how young were you?
2: I couldn't tell you, but i probably five or six. Wow! Start my book and, I think wow. the same for me, about the same age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, I, I love historical fiction. I love books uh, on innovation. There's, there's a writer, Stephen Johnson, who, who writes on innovation a lot, and, and he's um, written uh, several books. But one is called "How We Got to Now," and I love that book. It really changed the way I look at the modern world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I probably am reading like three or four books at a time. Some. I whip through some. I take my time. I'm reading a book right now on how uh, 10 maps of the world explain the world. Mm. Um, I'm looking for inspiration. I'm looking to figure out things and to find comfort in how other people have lived so that I realize that I'm not the first one to go through a struggle. I'm not the first one to go through anything. So. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of that. I read a lot of books about people that I'm just curious. I've read, I've read like seven biographies on Shakespeare.
0: Oh, um, I love Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. I was, I was, and, I was wondering if and, you like Shakespeare. Yeah, no, but,
1: and what I love is when I read the biographies. Not a lot actually known about the guy. Whether he actually did all the writing or not, who knows? But what I right. do know from what people have written is now I understand the plays that are supposedly he wrote mm-hmm. so much better. Mm-hmm. And I wish I when they taught in school, uh, when they taught me in school, I wish that they actually taught me about the the people that were writing and expressing themselves and the actual times that the things were written in. Don Quixote is probably very hard to get through, but it's like one of my favorite books as far as uh, this basic belief that we're inherently heroic even if we're misguided, as long as we're moving forward and acting. Um, mm-hmm. it's like a human thing. Yeah. But I, I can go on and on. I, I get to, like the, the greatest part about living a life as, as a professional writer is I get to read a lot. So, so cool. real, it's probably like the real real reason I'm doing it.
0: And do you do you like um, not only reading, but do you enjoy audio as well? Audiobooks?
1: You know, yes and no. Um, I find when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, which I did for a long time, I'm in the car a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I get tuned, tuned on to a, a turned into a me,
2: tuned
1: on by an audiobook, but I tend to like listen to music and kind of counter program those experiences and, mm. and really let my mind uh, be more at ease. Um, so I haven't really kind of gravitated to that uh, platform, uh, although uh, every once in a while, like the Keith Richards book. It's worth like people, say, yeah, yeah. You're getting a performance, um, <laughs> the kid stays in the picture, um, uh, which uh, I just remember listening to and being late to meetings because I didn't want to turn it
2: off because <laughs> it was just so interesting. You <laughs> know?
0: I'll, have to, I'll have to hear that,
2: yeah. right. And then, um, what like was it being read literature at a young age that got you into writing, or what like, for example, for me with music, it's like I heard I heard I always grew up with music, but it was Tupac. And I was like, oh, we we connect in a certain sense. And then for me, I was like, I have to start storytelling. So what, what was it for you that, that lit that fire?
1: Um, again, I, I would say uh, movies,
2: movies hit me in a different way. Mm. Uh, was there a specific one or just in well, general, I'll, just a process?
1: I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you a little anecdote about movies and, and, and hopefully it kind of sums up a lot of things, even if the sum of the parts might not be equal to the end uh when, when I was uh about four or five years old my mom's mom my my nanny my grandmother took me to the Ziegfeld Theater which at that is on 54th Street off of Sixth Avenue now it's a nice theater but at that time it had fallen into disrepair and uh to to watch Modern Times a Charlie Chaplin film uh and wow I remember like going into that theater, which seemed like a cathedral. It was like the big staircase and oh, yeah, yeah. the massive stuff on the ceilings and all the stuff and going in and watching that movie with, with her and, uh, thinking it was the funniest thing, thinking Charlie Chaplin was the funniest creature ever created. The lights come on and she says to me, you laughed in all the right parts. And I felt so, <laughs> right? um, and, and that, but here's where the story actually gets profound. Um, She's now, like, years later, I'm out in Los Angeles. I'm beginning my writing career. She's in her mid-80s, and she started to kind of really lose her her, uh, her mind. And I hadn't had, like, a substantive conversation with her for about three or four years, whether senility or whatever. Or whatever. And she was in a nursing home back on the East Coast. And on my last birthday that she was alive, a tube shows up in the mail, a birthday gift from her, and it's opposed to her modern times. And that's, to me, that's... I still have that. But that's I mean, that's why movies, books, yeah, music. That's why that's what you're. You know, I mean, I think about that. She yeah. had the same her version, the same experience, all those years, and it was as powerful for her. And but yeah, I I love the Marx Brothers. So I love. I, I was always trying to comedy. I tend to I tend to run a little bit to um, dark thoughts if I'm left alone, and and so comedy is always just. I wanted to live in those worlds. Um, yeah. You know, there was a comedian in the fifties, Danny Kaye. He did a lot. of. Oh comedies. yeah.
2: I love, I love, what's the one where he did like Robin Hood. It's the court gesture. Yes. I love that one. Yes. 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 The Ruth and yes, his yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
1: like, I mean, I, I grew up just <laughs> loving those movies and wanting to jump on the screen. And in a way, I think even though I, I couldn't verbalize it through my education and through my early adulthood, the whole reason I, I gravitated towards screenwriting is like, ultimately, that was so strong. I just wanted to Yeah, and lose. I still do. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't care about the business as much. I don't care about re- life as much as I actually care about like that feeling I get of my imagination of what's on the screen. And actually, there's a Buster Keaton movie called Sherlock Jr. that he made in 1924 or 5, 40 minutes long. It shows you the magic of movies. It's the greatest fucking movie I've ever seen. And uh, it's, again, one of those things where you watch it, you're like, I want to make movies. I Uh I just want to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for sharing the story about your family. That's a great, beautiful story and how the the connection was so powerful and strong. Um, And I'm also wondering, so some of this and um, so what... um, you do, you're involved in a lot of uh, children and family movies. Yeah. So, um, and that just happened by luck. You well, just it, fell into it. it. it what,
1: what, what, yeah, I fell into it. Uh, you know, when I moved out to L.A. and really began my professional career, I wrote late night comedy. Mm-hmm. I wrote sitcoms. Um, I, my, my target was always trying to write movies. And the movies that I was writing, uh, first Alone and then with Joel, were uh, hard action, R-rated, uh, buddy buddy movies. Uh, the first one we wrote uh, became the movie Money Talks. Uh, the second one we wrote was a script that we never could get anybody to buy. We never made a penny on the script. It's called The Wooden Policeman. Uh, live action, hard edge movie about kids and guns and toy guns and real guns and cops. And and um, on like page 11 or 12 of that script, uh, a kid gets a present and opens it up, thinks it's a toy gun and he ends up killing his family. Right. We were going like we were going balls out. Not yeah. Making a comment. There was a character Buzz and a character Woody in that script.
0: Oh, that's ding, a ding. script cool. that
1: Pixar and Disney <laughs> ding, ding. That scene is the scene that got us the meeting in the wow. room. And then as we started our process with, with those two teams, at some point, we're like, why don't we just take the personas of Buzz and Woody from that other script and apply it to the conversation we're having now because that script's not going anywhere. And um, and so, but that, so then Toy Story happens mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, you're giving the keys to the candy store, but everybody wants you to do kids stuff. They're going to see family stuff. I never saw Toy Story as a kid's movie. I saw it as they were grown up in toy bodies. Sure. And so they had grown up emotions. And in the first draft of Toy Story, uh, they
0: seem, I remember I was like young. And I remember it was very adult. They yeah. were kids, but they seem mature. They right. seem like
1: full well, cool humans. In, in, the first draft, <laughs> in the first draft of Toy Story, there's a montage of Woody's, that actual Woody doll's backstory that starts with, uh, he's a, he was a ventriloquist doll initially, that he was going to be the doll of a ventriloquist that was going to be on the Ed Sullivan show but it's the night the Beatles are on it, and the, the uh, ventriloquist never gets on, and he gets drunk and leaves that Woody in the back of a taxi. Wow. The cabbie brings him home. The next kid has him, but that kid takes him to Woodstock, and he leaves uh, Woody in, in, the, in the mud bog of Woodstock. He gets <laughs> found again, then gets taken home. The next kid somehow has him, in it and, and uh, like leaves him on the floor of Studio Fifty Four. We had like this like farce Gump like thing to basically say. He knows what it's like to love somebody and be thrown out. He knows what it's like to be abandoned, mm. and it really helps set up the DNA of his character.
0: Mm-hmm. Buzz in the first mm-hmm. draft,
1: when he finds out he's actually just a toy, tries to kill himself in that very first draft. We went to that place, so that wasn't a kids' movie in, in our minds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then it comes out, and they, they they pull it all back, and they do you know the whole thing, and then you know just as as a human being, I'm starting my own family, and then it's like, would you like to write another anime movie? Would you like to write? Garfield? Would you like to write you or whether it doesn't? And whether the answer was yes or no inside, I was like so blessed to have the opportunity. I was like, yeah. And over time, I realized I actually care so much about the safety and the um, the well-being of children. Uh, I'm a big child inside of myself and I really identify with that. And so over time, I realized, well, maybe I didn't just fall on it. Maybe it's what was always supposed to happen, mm-hmm. but that's how it happened. And my false sense of control led me to think that wasn't what was supposed to happen at some point, but it was always supposed to be that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a really cool message in there as far as like one sticking with something, right? It's like people will have an idea about something and then and then maybe like their circumstances change, but you're like you, you something from a while ago, you're able to to change the perspective and to make it brand new, but also also being able to say yes in an unknown circumstance. It's like right. you, you're maybe like you're creating movies that are a certain way and then all of a sudden something changes and it's like I could keep going into this old pattern, but this is a new world that's exciting. And I feel like maybe, you know, you can speak a little bit more about that, like into the world of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but this feels right. Right.
1: Well, all right. So I, I I can never remember the exact words, but Dr. King, my favorite quote, which I'm paraphrasing is that faith is an act where you're taking the first step on a staircase you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that writing is definitely an act of faith. Living is an act of faith. But for me, uh, I, I just... I understood the themes. I still understand the themes. I understand how uh, we overcomplicate our our lives and and the world comes at us and creates chaos, it seems, but that we're still all basically inner children. And while we still want, is what we wanted when we were children, now it just comes with a lot more conditions. And so, yes, the answer is uh, maybe this is what was always supposed to happen,
2: I was just open to it at the right time. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And it also sounds like um, um, doing everything that you just talked about connects you with your spirit. Absolutely. Wholesome. Connecting you with your spirit through play and fun and animation and children. And now you're involved in VI. So, yeah. I mean. Um, and
1: absolutely. And by the way, Stephen Johnson, to go back to that, uh-huh. the writer, his latest book, I think it's called Playland, and it's all about how our need to play has actually also defined the modern world. And he looks at innovation through all the innovation that started with just indulgence and in play, including music, mm-hmm. which uh, there are instruments that go back 80, 100,000 years in different parts of Europe. And the argument he's making there is just like at a moment where survival was much more primary, there was still the need to make musical instruments and make music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow! So -hmm. it's it's a core aspect of uh, our
2: existence. I love that.
0: And before you were mentioning something, it was like a 1648, and it was it was with water, and you were telling this.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So no, well, it's going to be really convoluted. But so in how he got to now, the first chapter uh, that that he he wrote about uh, is really about uh, looking at uh, looking at how I'm going to have to try and get this right. Looking at how with a a cholera outbreak in London in the 1850s and Chicago having an issue with their sewage in the 1890s. And a guy living somewhere in New Jersey looking at the water source uh, also around 1890s, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the first one has to do with, you know, realizing cholera was waterborne. The second one has to do with that. You have to separate the water, the drinking water from other water. The third guy was all about realizing by putting some chlorine in the water it makes it healthy if you put the right amount. Then led to somebody on the west coast of, of uh, America, thinking I can use that chlorine for industrial reasons, that didn't work, but his wife invented chloride. And then all of a sudden you have house products and the house gets clean. You also get swimming pools, and get water getting safe, which then, uh, it creates fashion and creates like you know bikinis and creates the surfer life and creates like teenagers a ripple of that. so it's just all these things We're all connected like it's not you can't look at one thing and say it was always here
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's there's a million invisible reasons why things are where they
2: are
0: the juxtaposition
2: yeah well, yeah I, it's I, pretty I...
0: magical on a yeah. Macro and micro, microscopic world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think there's kind of like a running theme here, and I think it's in, important to talk about just because I remember you talking about how the the man who put the chlorine in the water, he got jailed. Oh yeah. And and yeah. it's it's like in in history throughout history there have been people that have said like this is this way, and and they put their life on the well, line. Copernicus.
1: I mean, like it's you absolutely, you know, and and uh, original thought. Or new thought is is threatening to people. Yeah, and institutions, institutions especially, not individual people, perhaps, but groups of people. Institutions, by their very nature, uh, look backwards. Something is created to 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 hold something, so they're holding something backwards. Very few institutions look forward and say we need to break the institute. It's why like the punk movement, at its core, needs to destroy itself. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's because. The only way to stay pure punk is to blow it up, right? You know, and, and that, like, why? Like, if you uh, if you if you revere it too much, you've destroyed it uh, yeah. without it, in, in an imperfect way. So, absolutely, you know, the outlier will lead us. And rock and roll. I mean, we're spending a lot of time talking about music, but rock and roll. Whether you want to look at um, you know uh, or you know early like white musicians making black music or black musicians being heard by white kids. Uh, rock and roll was ultimately this threat because it was outside right. the the norm, right? But I'm bouncing all over the place. Go to storytelling. I love it. it's bounce. Yeah, no, but go to storytelling. So rock and roll can't exist without the transistor radio, and the transistor radio gets invented because the transistors invented during World War II by a bunch of Texas Instrument uh, engineers. And when they were making it, they had no idea they were going to unleash. Teenagers on the wall. Right? <laughs> but, but what it did was when they created that transistor radio, they took culture out of the living room where the parents and the grownups controlled it and they gave it to teenagers. So you can now control your own culture. Well, that's not different than the internet. That's not different than the Walkman. That's not different than yes. all the things that have just become new platforms to tell stories that you give people the, their own control. And that's the threat to the institution. Yeah. Right. Yeah, And mm-hmm. that's why you're an outlaw before you're a saint. Love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that.
0: Yeah, I love this. And then speaking of music, yeah. um, you have three children. Two and, children. Oh, two.
1: I'm I'm, I'm oh. my own third child. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: two, and then yeah. one's Eli, yeah, and Eli, he makes music.
1: Eli is uh, is uh, fronts a band called The Living Strange. Uh, lives in Brooklyn. Eli picked up uh, a guitar when he was about five and never put it down, and uh, plays five instruments. Actually built the guitar he uses. Um, their band's great, and and uh, actually. If you know, even though it wasn't as pop, I listen to his music a lot because it just make, it gets me into the right headspace. So, like, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, love that. And my daughter Maya uh, is a uh, a writer and a, and an artist. Uh, mm-hmm. Both are emerging. Both are finding their voices, uh, uh, and both uh, you know, I think have a lot to offer.
0: And um, do they both have websites too?
1: Uh, Eli's Livingstrange.com, Uh, Maya, uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, she actually, she does a lot of things. She, she's, uh, she's published some poetry. She's written plays that have been read in New York city. She actually is now painting portraits, which she does with her fingers on newsprint. Uh, but as, as her, as their pop, I'm as proud of the fact that Maya also went to India and taught at school, uh, earlier this year. Uh, and, uh, Cares a lot about the oceans, um, and that Eli uh, actually um, uh, is is trying to use music, his music especially, to um, to make sense of, of of his world. Like it's a true artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. So I I care more about that than the result.
0: Yeah. So um, um, and a little later here, we'll uh, hear. Um, some of Eli's music. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Some
2: bangers. Hopefully. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's got to be pretty cool having um, children that are also in entertainment and being able to offer your perspective and oh, your yeah. experiences. I mean, look, you know,
1: we as humans, like we all learn by doing. So, I, so like, you know, we were talking about books before. What I think my biggest influence in life is Joseph Campbell. I don't know if you know Joseph Campbell, but, you know, he was a, uh, a professor at Sarah Lawrence for about 40 years. And he studied primitive mythology and primitive storytelling. And he did it from the 1930s to the 1970s or so. And what he found is no matter where the stories came from, there was a common DNA to the stories that humans tell that he then distilled into something called the Hero's Journey.
2: Okay, yeah, 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 that rings a bell. Right, and
1: the the Hero's Journey, uh, I'm not going to be able to walk you through the whole thing beat by beat, but 10 or 11 beats that somebody starts somewhere, has a call to action, goes out to a quest for something, Uh, you know, has needs a mentor, has challenges, has this and that, ends up in a cave where he has to slay a dragon, uh, then comes back, not with the thing or he or she was looking for, but with the wisdom of the journey, and then comes back to people or, you know, his home, and they don't really care. And that's, that's the great comic tragedy of humanity repeated again and again and again. That to me is really what's going on, right? So you create something. You're inherently heroic for taking that journey, and what you're actually creating, the value of that is not what is created; it's the experience of creating. It. Same thing with writing. Same thing uh, with with living. Yeah, you know, like that. You you learn by doing, and you're the the richest people in the world have gained wisdom, not material stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Mhm. And uh, so recently, uh, you wrote and directed a new animation short.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, well I, I co-wrote and okay. co-directed. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out from a documentary. Um, I I met a woman, uh, Mary Matzio She's a documentarian out of Boston. And we collaborated on a documentary called I Am Jane Doe, which is on Netflix uh, right now. Um, it tells a story of a number Congratulations. of...
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. It tells a story of a number of... Young uh, uh, women and their mothers who are, the the younger women are survivors of sex trafficking. And it tells a story of their desire to try and shut down the website that they were advertised on and change the law that allowed that to happen. Um, It was very profound for me, really like unbelievable personal experience. But as an adjunct, um, we were able to get a budget together and decided that, let's make a little animation short, almost like a PSA or something that could begin a conversation or further some wisdom for kids, how not to not get pulled into that world to begin with. Um, There's an organization in Boston called My Life, My Choice that is prominent in the documentary. And so you know I slash we went to them, asked if they'd be interested in it. Yes, it it culminated where I wrote um, uh, a script with Mary, and then we brought in 12 uh, survivors, 12 kids, the Leadership Council of My Life, My Choice, and we actually collaborated on the material, you know, where it was like, you know, you got this right, you got this wrong. No, this is what really happens. This does it, all this stuff. And then um, because of the shooting an elephant movie I mentioned before, which was making the festival runs, I got to know um, some animators from uh, Chile. Uh, they have a company called Punk Robot, and they won an Academy Award a couple of years ago for an animation short called Bear Story, which is a beautiful little movie. I don't know where you can see it, but please go see that because that was fantastic. But I reached out to them and I said, hey, we have a chance to make this thing. Mm-hmm. You guys, would you want to do it? Yes. I'm like, great. Well, I'm not taking any money. You can't take any money either. Let's just go make something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So now we got them doing it. Jessica Chastain had provided the voice for the documentary. And so she also provided the voice for the animation short. And all of a sudden, we're making this beautiful little movie with the girls' voices and their stories, maybe my expertise and skill set hunk robot bringing their thing, Mary bringing her thing. And we've made this thing, and now it's being rolled out in schools and, and in other programs around the country, mostly of the middle schools, to basically say, here are the here's the way that you get seduced and are brought into this world. And so just giving some skills. And it, it really reduces yeah. to not all that glitters is gold and how if somebody is offering you something that's a little too good to be true, probably is. It kind of is that. So that actually... I, I know it might be just words, but that was like the greatest experience I've ever had because mm. uh, to work with these kids and then get to know these kids and and know that they're not defined by what happened to them, that like they are not what happened to them. And to see them even in the time it took to make that movie where now like I, I, a couple months ago, I was back up in Boston. And I saw three of these young women and they're all getting into colleges and they're all kind of starting their adult lives. And, you know, these were these were kids that were, were basically uh, kidnapped, uh, enslaved and raped repeatedly from the ages of 13 to 16 or 17. Oh, it's horrible. All right? I know, it's horrible, but but fine. Yeah. yeah. You can't change it. But what you yeah. can change is what happens now, mm-hmm. what happens today. And then yes. again, going back to the inherent heroic journey, that Joseph Campbell thing, how do you make something that seems horrible heroic? Well, you use that as the value of oh, that's your wisdom. That's what you bring forth. That's how you protect that's how you actually help that's the real fucking message yeah that's the thing that like you want to talk about writing that's the that's the real sauce right there wow
0: yeah I,
2: i i love what you're saying i feel like a lot of times people hear stories or they go through things and there's this feeling of like sadness and sorrow and that's definitely one aspect to it but to what you're saying to your point it you know it on one side, it makes you unbreakable um, if you're really able to have that that courage, but also the community around you, but also to be able to share that with other people, like the ripple effect that those people are making in the world and to be able to, like the world that we're going into is preventing and stopping all of this stuff and breaking down all of these walls so that we can have healthier boundaries and to really uplift people. And I think that's super cool and well, exciting. Well,
1: thank you. But I, again, I, you know, in, in my mind, the greatest gift anybody gives himself is service. And the more you give in the world, the more you actually get back. I, and I know that other people have said it more eloquently, but I believe that. And I actually think that uh, the real shame of anybody that's suffered any trauma is that their inner heroic narrative is taken away. Yes. And so I can't change the past. Nobody can change the past. And we haven't lived the future yet. But what you can do today is like, say, how do I take Whatever I'm carrying with me, and try and make a better situation or a better future with that, and that again is in my mind is well, you 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 bring your story forward, or you help yes. somebody else tell their
2: story. Sharing that vulnerability, absolutely, for sure, one hundred percent. So I'm big on that. That's.
1: Does your website look like it was made for free by your friend? Make a better first impression with actorgear.com. Load faster, look better. There's literally no reason to build a website any other way. Use your own domain and get a website with no ads to keep
0: the focus on you. Go to actorgear.com and get 50% off your first month
1: when you use the signup code KSTAR.
0: Thank you. And then um, just like maybe in, in simple terms, what are some things um, have you found along the way if if people say, hey, I want to be in service, I want to serve more. What are some things right. people can do right. to to just go and serve yes. if they're that's, kind of that's new at it? I think
1: that's a great question. That's that to me is so my my epiphany through I am Jane Doe, my desire with VI, my desire actually moving forward with the amount of energy I have left in this form um, all is about, I can't change a law, but I can tell a story. I can use my skill set. I can use my areas and spheres of influence to try and just move a needle a little bit or be a little flashlight for somebody else because I might have a little influence. And so in my mind, I would say to everybody, you have powers you don't even know you have. You, mm-hmm. you have influence you don't even know you have. And you don't have to step out of your comfort zone to necessarily make a change. The biggest leap I took was the leap of saying, yes, I want to do something and I'm not going to put the deal or the final number in front of the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's the only real thing I did when I started working on that documentary. It's like, this isn't about numbers. This is about, oh yeah, I can help. Mm-hmm. I can help do what I do anyway. Mm-hmm. I would help doing what I would do for nothing anyway, like, like telling stories. And um, <laughs> and so I would say to everybody out there, you become heroic in your own skin and your own life if you just do what you can. But that doesn't happen by itself. Eddie Murphy used to have a joke, the crack don't smoke itself. Well, change doesn't happen by itself. It happens because individuals decide to change something. And in that decision Again, is that is that hero's journey in my opinion?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super important, especially now the world that we're living in. So many people just want to be, you know, social media famous, or it's like people will say like, oh, I can just like go out there and and and, and do what everybody else is doing. In in music you see this, and in, in creativity you see people, oh, this is successful, so I can do this, but to say like there's something inside of me to be able to be vulnerable and to express something that I've, I've done that being, it's like, people won't understand this part of me. And then all of a sudden I find myself sharing and then there's this amazing connection and you know, right. they're, well, they're, yeah. it's powerful. I mean, look,
1: this is something inherently fragile about social media because whether you are uh, posting for yourself or your friends or for the entire world, uh, you're broadcasting a uh, an idealized version of something usually yourself. Yeah. And uh, that's not real. It's it's just not real, and and so again, like for me, uh, honesty and vulnerability are actually um, strength, Mm -hmm. and that's not weakness, right? Yeah. So um, for me, that journey starts inside, and I have to clean up my side of the street. I have to clean up my addict. I have to clean up all the stuff that, that I carry, all my guilt and all my shame and all my experiences, good and bad, and put them in a perspective. Where I can look at them and say, "Okay, they just got me here," um, and so then my feet are planted on the ground. Whereas you know the problem with social media, the problem with uh, technology, or or, or or potential problem with technology, is that there's so much we don't control as individuals, and yet we expect to have value in it, and that that just seems like a, a formula for um, anxiety and disappointment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so moving forward, you'll just continue to tell stories through play. Yeah,
1: write, write, and- writing is a uh, is a terminal career, so mm-hmm. I'm going to do it until I stop breathing. Uh, moving forward, uh, I love. I still love movies like I did when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I've I've had a chance to tell some stories in video games. That that was amazing experience. Um, you know, I've done some book things. Um, I, I'm always looking for, you know, to me, there's never been more platforms and more ways to tell stories. There's never been more screens to tell stories on. It's never right. been like we, we, we're actually living in, a, in in the matrix, if you will, the, the grid that we don't even realize we're living in. That if you want to look at it as a canvas, well, you can paint on that, and, you know, with geotagging and with uh, virtual reality or with augmented reality. And, and, and so I, moving forward, that's what I'm going to do my whole life. But what I will also do, uh, which has really been the greatest gift I've given myself, is continue to try and help people tell their stories and maybe people who don't have the platform I might have. And so yeah. um, I'm getting involved with another organization in, in Boston uh, called College Bound that takes a lot of ex-gang bangers and tries to get them GEDs and get them into college. Very cool. I don't even know what I'm gonna do with them yet, but I'm gonna try and help tell but them. But you're stories. showing up. I'm showing up, but exactly, yeah, boots on the ground. And, uh, again, VI, you know, I, I don't, when I met Scarlett, it's like, I, I don't quite know how I can help, but I want to help, mm-hmm. right? I care a lot about the fact that we're all sharing this planet together. Yes. And we are the dominant species. We are the ones in control at this moment in time. And so it becomes our responsibility to try and use that positively our responsibility to help any way we can. So. Moving forward, I want to spend as much time doing that while I still have to pay my bills and make sure my kids are good and do all the other stuff that humans have to do. (laughs) So,
0: yes. So um, if, um, you know, there's someone out there who hears this and they have a story to share and they want to be vulnerable or maybe give you a slice of their life, maybe they could be an inspiration for you to help, you know, contribute to the, the serving. Maybe it's them serving. Is there a way for them to maybe connect with you? Um, on your website or maybe through Vets International? I
1: would say through Vets International. I don't mm-hmm. have a website. I'm, I'm like really pathetic with stuff like that. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's like a, a you know, mm-hmm. I'm on um, Instagram as Locust Land. Uh, I think if people want to find something they can, but I, I would say start with, if you have something to say, say it, you know, and, and don't, don't feel like what you have to say doesn't have value. Everybody mm-hmm. has value. Uh, you know, and if you can say it in a room with one person, you can say it in, in a world with millions of people, you know, if it connects. Definitely. Um, and so I would say that, but, but honestly, like, uh, how do you get in touch with me? You get in touch with me. Uh, yeah. Through VI. I yeah. I would say for, for, for this moment in time, that's probably the best way.
0: Cool. You never know if someone has an idea or some yeah. inspiration from everything we've talked about. Yeah. And they want to contribute in some way. Yeah. Definitely. Or get involved with Veterinarians International.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And understand that, you know, just because something's out of sight, it's not out of mind. And, and you know, uh, the well-being of, of a creature uh, halfway around the world uh, does impact you. Uh, you might never even know it, but it impacts you. It impacts you because of the uh, the disease that doesn't spread, but also culturally the love that goes into that. That then will spread, and uh, and so yeah. I mean, I I think that I, I you know I mean I'm all over the place. I know my mind goes a bazillion miles an hour.
0: Oh, mine but, too.
1: But but I would say that, like I actually believe love is not a human construct. I believe love is an elemental aspect of the universe. The universe exists because of love. If you actually think about love, is just the laws of attraction. What brought all the atoms together? What brought all the planets into creation? What brought all the energy? It's some attraction we can't understand with our human brains, but it's there. So our opportunity in our life forms is to touch that love. And you do that by being open to what you don't know. You do that by helping out. Unconditionally and not expecting anything back.
0: And a prime example of what you just said so beautifully is literally this moment right now. There's so much love here. I feel it. I sense it. I see it. I mean, there's love. Do you right? Do you guys feel? Oh that yeah, and for sure. Is-
1: Absolutely. And okay. that's, and that's so openness that, and that's connection yeah. and that's yeah. trust and that's fun and it's 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 the best aspects of consciousness.
0: Yeah. Because some people, you know, there's we could go into the whole thing about love of healthy love, unhealthy love. Unhealthy love. I can't obtain it, touch it, but in you feel it in, in your heart, you see it, you know, in your glassy eyes and yeah. in the moment of doing something unconditionally, and you just know and it's not. Deal with that word, sense.
1: deal with the word unconditional, right? Mm-hmm. And and without like parsing or breaking it down, to do something and expect nothing back is godly. Um and even that's something to aspire to, because I certainly was raised believing I was always supposed to get something back. Very insecure. And then over time, part of the wisdom of life is realizing when I don't expect anything, I'm always happy. And so unconditional love is actually, for me, the goal still, and it's something I practice. I don't know if I ever attain it, but I practice. Um, So yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, practice and discipline are everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So um, just wrapping up here, lastly, I have two things percolating on my mind okay one is um where somewhere in the world that you haven't been yet that you really want to go
1: well you know I was talking to Scarlett the other day and she was mentioned that she's going to uh, Myanmar
2: yeah and I
1: was like she showed me a couple of photos I'm like I want to go there
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, right. yeah. and
1: she described the culture and just everything I'm like I that's now on my radar even though I, I don't know how or when or where yeah um to I got I want to go everywhere my problem is is uh, I can't, I can't go everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, but that leads leads me back to books. Books can take you around the world and you never leave your living room. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. You know?
0: And then, and then recently you went to Sweden and you were there, uh, storytelling, Um, With the animation film. um, Yeah, yeah. I'm making
1: a little movie with an animation uh, motion capture company there called Stiller uh, Mm -hmm. Studios. Um, It's a really actually it's a really cool little project. Um, I say little because the budgets are actually really smaller over there. Mm. Uh, But they have very cool technology. Motion capture is green screen technology. Mm. Um, They have all the Harry Potter camera rigging. They have the most amazing system like, like pipeline system. And, we, and there's a Swedish astronaut uh, named Krister Fugelsang, who I believe is the only person I've ever heard of who's a cosmonaut and an astronaut, um, who's been in outer space, who also is an astrophysicist at CERN, and he's written a, a series of children's books to help make space travel and time travel understandable for kids using actual science. Um, cool. And so we're adapting the first one uh, for the Scandinavian marketplace So basically show people what we can do with this technology. But I'm spending a lot of time in Stockholm. I love Stockholm. Very cool. Love the Swedes. Wow. uh, You know, again, I'm blessed to have the opportunity. For sure. For sure. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And then uh, lastly, um, you know, um, we were talking about empathy and, you know, empathic. So maybe um, you could share. Um, or we can talk a little bit about empathy and, you know, having, because in the the beginning of the conversation, you were uh, mentioning your connectivity of films and how they moved you and how you really felt it. Yeah, well, you know, part,
1: part of my, um, I don't know if you want to call it training, but part of my experience in writing animation and writing, uh, you know, in the case of Toy Story, you know, toys, in the case of Garfield, the cat, uh, is starting <laughs> to like live in my imagination, but live inside of other creation of other things and thinking, what do they feel? What are they, you know, when are they happy? When are they sad? One of the first meetings I ever had with Pixar, they played this little game of like, when is a glass happy? You know, is a glass happy when it's full? Is it happy when it's empty? Is it happy when it's being used? There's no real answer, but it, it helps you to start seeing the world in a more empathetic way. Uh, that certainly has been the journey I've been on as a person where I have, if anything, I have too much empathy. Sometimes it paralyzes me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, I have no idea what the world and the universe actually is like to a dog or to an elephant or to an ape. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably don't know what it's like to another human being. I know what it's like to me, but I can empathize and I can respect that their version might actually be as pure as my version. And so then we're connected and then we're common and then we're not Different, right? Take different forms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that.
0: Beautiful, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining yes, us. Yeah, such a pleasure. So
1: you guys also right. I love your music. <laughs> oh, <Yay>. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. See you next time. Definitely. Thank
0: you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kidiaki, over and out. <laughs>